Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. I want to bring to you two people whose lives were changed by Jesus on Easter morning. Their names, Mary Magdalene and Doubting Thomas. And I want to bring them into the same conversation. Mary represents this person who's devoted. She's hungering. She's longing for Jesus. Thomas, we know little about, but he is this person that would kind of say to you and I, no way. He's the skeptic. He, yes, he's the doubter. Mary knows Jesus because Jesus has changed her life. She had seven demons cast out of her. We don't know much about her life other than that. But then Thomas, we just know that he is a follower. He's devout. But now we begin to learn that he's the rationalist. He's the scientist. He cannot believe in the resurrection. So we come to both of them together. And I would say that Mary is like all heart. And Thomas is all mind. And I think those two are the bookends of where you and I might find ourselves in this message. Some of us more like Mary, some of us more like Thomas, or maybe most of us somewhere in between. But I think all of us here this morning, we're being called just like Mary and Thomas to make a decision, maybe in a new way, and recalibrate our faith around this great resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. At the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that redecision for Jesus in a way that fits where you are just now. So let's start with Mary. In John 20, verse 1, we read, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, we know to be John the Beloved. They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said. I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. 
and she told them that he had said these things to her. So quickly, Mary Magdalene called Mary Magdala because she was from Magdala, the city very near Capernaum where Jesus' headquarters was up in Galilee. And that's where she had met Jesus. And she had had seven spirits cast out of her, but contrary to what everybody thinks, she wasn't a prostitute. We don't know what evils were in her past, but the idea of her being a prostitute didn't get introduced until the sixth century AD, a mistake that Gregory the Great made, confusing Luke chapter seven with Luke chapter eight. So here's Mary, and she's apparently some kind of wealthy woman because she's listed by Luke as some of the women that supported Jesus' ministry. Yes, there were a few women, women you'll like this, that traveled with Jesus, just like there were disciples. Only these women carried a heavier weight. They actually supported the ministry. And she was one of the women that was supporting Jesus' ministry. And I like to think of her as a woman that was all in. She followed Jesus for three years. She followed him. When the men ran, she was at the cross. When the men were gone, she was at the grave when Jesus was being buried. And so she was an independent leader, resourceful and devoted. And I think of her as all heart. So that morning... When she comes to the tomb, she's actually not alone. The other gospels tell us that uh, Joanna was there, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and others that aren't listed by name, and they get there, and the stone is rolled away. And they encounter two angels, and out of that, they run and tell the disciples that Jesus' body is gone, the disciples come running, Peter and John, they see what the women have seen, and now Mary is lingering at the tomb. And she hears the voice say, woman, why are you crying? And that question is asked twice. Who are you looking for the second time and thinking that he's the gardener, she turns around and says, where have you taken? I'm ready. This little woman, I'm ready to carry this body away. Gotta love her. And Jesus cuts to the chase with one word, Mary, or perhaps Mary. There was a way that Jesus called her name that no one else used. Some of you may have had a nickname where a friend or a family member, they were the only ones that called you by that endearing term. And Jesus does that. And instantly Mary knows it's Jesus. And she responds, not only with words saying Rabboni, which means teacher, but running and hitting the dirt and grabbing a hold of Jesus' legs. So much so that Jesus, perhaps with a chuckle, says, Mary, I haven't gone to heaven yet. I'm here. Don't squeeze me so hard. I've got work for you. You need to go and tell everybody that you have seen the resurrected Messiah, Jesus. 
the first human being. Now think of this. In a culture that was completely male-dominant, patriarchal, Jesus chooses a woman to reveal himself to, and she becomes the first witness of the resurrection. Now think of this. She's Jewish. There's nothing in her mind that would make her think that she's going to see the resurrected Jesus. She doesn't suspect that it's him, that it's a gardener instead, but she is this sentimental person that's longing for Jesus. But once she sees the resurrected Jesus, he's a thousand times bigger. Just think of all the circuits in her mind that are blowing. What does this mean? He's not just miracle worker. He's not just great teacher. He's not just compassionate person that I love. But he's God. All of this is going through her mind at this moment. You might say that he's gone from lamb to lion in one fell swoop. There's a scene in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that depicts this quite well, where if you've read this book, you know that Aslan, this mythical lion, has been slain. And then the two girls that are weeping over their lost hero suddenly hear his voice and they realize that this lion, Aslan, is raised from the dead only they see him as, quote, larger than he was before. So that's Mary. Hold on to Mary. And now let's look at Thomas. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, shalom. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas is like many of us. He's a doubter. He's not expecting the resurrection. Now, none of the disciples were. It wasn't a part of their theology that the Messiah would rise from the dead and the Messiah would be God. It wasn't what they were imagining, but Thomas wasn't there the first night that Jesus appeared to the disciples. So Jesus appeared to Mary, and then he appeared to some of the women, and then Easter evening, Jesus appears to 10 of the disciples, not Judas, he's gone, 
Thomas wasn't there and they report to Thomas, we have seen the Lord and Thomas gives this explicit statement, not scientific, not rational, I'm a skeptic, I can't believe. And now Jesus appears, walks right through a locked door and goes straight to Thomas. Thomas is undone by the fact that he realizes Jesus has heard his words of doubt. So Thomas is kind of, for me, so familiar to what goes on in my mind. He's a forerunner of the Enlightenment. He's the guy that you and I would say is full of science, and science knows miracles don't happen. He's the rationalist, and reason knows that the resurrection is not reasonable. So Thomas places this barrier that supposedly is gonna keep Jesus away from him, and oftentimes we do that. We place this barrier, the reason we can't go to church, the reason we can't believe, the reason we can't celebrate this resurrection. And once that barrier is there, that becomes an identity with me, that I begin to hang on to that identity, and that worldview becomes the barrier that keeps Jesus away from me and it was true in my life and certainly it was in Thomas's life it's kind of like I have my front door locked I've got it bolted I've got it chained I've got my shotgun aimed at the front door saying I cannot believe but now here's Jesus coming through the locked door right up to Thomas And Thomas, yeah, he's undone. My Lord, and yes, my God. There is no Jewish person that would easily say to a man, my God. But Jesus has blown up his preconceived ideas, blown up his worldview, and his skepticism, and now Thomas' life is changed. By the way, Thomas' life was so radically changed, he became the first missionary, and church history tells us this, and it's verified, that Thomas sailed all the way to the tip of India and started the first missionary work in India in his lifetime. So these two, Mary and Thomas, represent kind of two parts of me and maybe two parts of you. The longing, the heart, longing to be known and to know. You know, my mother was a Mary. I could just picture my mom, all heart. But guess what? There's the rational side of me, and that was my dad. Berkeley grad, engineer, mathematician, No hype, logic, science. And these two, regardless of who they were, when they saw Jesus, they were changed. When I first heard the gospel, I tried for six months to bring these two parts of me together, the Mary and the doubting Thomas. And it felt like sometimes when I would go to church that I had to cut off my head to save my heart. I couldn't bring them both together. 
But here were five things that converted me, that convinced me, and I want to share them with you. Number one, this internal longing that represents Mary is in all of us. Everybody longs for the face of God. Everybody longs to be known by God and have this love relationship. Where did that come from? Why do people all over the world have some kind of religion, some kind of longing for God? Number two, the idea of the resurrection is not native to Judaism. That was foreign to Mary, it was foreign to the disciples, to Thomas. And so why would they make that up? It, they didn't. It happened. Number three, there's a long list of eyewitnesses that are recorded in Scripture. Now, in our court system, eyewitnesses are king. So the eyewitnesses are Mary, the women, the disciples, Thomas, the two men on the road to, to Emmaus, and the Apostle Paul, and Paul tells us that there were 500 that saw the same resurrected Jesus at one time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. Number four, all the martyrs, all the disciples, rather, were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Don't you think that one of them would have broken if they were believing a lie or if they had made it up just as a story, but they all knew that it really happened and so they were willing to die. And then number five, I couldn't deny the fact that my friends had genuinely had life changes who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. So I was able to bring both my heart and my mind into believing in Jesus Christ. Now later in my life, I met a mentor. His name was C.S. Lewis. He, he was already dead by this time, but he was someone that had both a heart and a mind, had Mary and Thomas. The Mary part of him you can find in C.S. Lewis fantasies, the Chronicles of Narnia, this big-hearted writer that writes about Aslan and the, the person who represents Jesus. And it warms my heart so much. But C.S. Lewis, this great apologist, having been a former atheist, was so good at articulating the why I believe. And it validated my whole faith in Jesus. But coming back to Mary, to Thomas, and to you, each of us has to make a decision about the resurrected Jesus, not the sentimental Jesus, not just the good teacher Jesus, but the resurrected Jesus. And just as Mary had to recalibrate, Thomas had to recalibrate, Every one of us has to recalibrate. My friends, he's the king. He's the resurrected Messiah. He is my Lord and my God. He trumps everything. So now what do we do? This lockdown has been perfect for us. It's been stripping us. It's been peeling everything away. And now here we are 
just like Mary and Thomas, alone with Jesus. The perfect time to let the resurrection to bam, impact me. And what am I gonna do about it? The other night, my wife and I were watching a movie, part of a series called The Crown. And in that segment, Prince Philip is now wrestling with the very thing you and I are wrestling with right now. His wife, his lover, and the mother of his children has now just become the queen. And he's wrestling with the idea of calling this person that he's known in one way now his queen. And you go through the agony with him as finally he gets on his knees and he says to Queen Elizabeth the words, my queen. And I think that captures you and I that some of us have known Jesus just as this warm person, this fabulous person, that person that has a part of our heart, but he's not really the Lord of our lives. Or you've been the Thomas that's doubted and you've never been able to get over the hump, but he's still not the Lord of our lives. But here, you and I push back how we've thought about Jesus in the past to realize he rose from the dead. And we celebrate that with Thomas. And now we say on our knees, my Lord and my God. I want to give you an opportunity just now to do just that and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And I want to speak firstly to Christians who have maybe put Jesus in a category where you and I have not let him be the full Lord of our lives. He's in a closet, he's in a a room of our lives, but not the king of the whole domain of our lives. Or maybe you're hearing the gospel for the first time and it's making sense. And now you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to pray with me right now. Lord, come into my life. I surrender to you. I open my heart and my mind to you, calling you my Lord and my God. So come into my life and wash me and cleanse me of all sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. And now thank you for breaking the power of sin and the power of my past by the resurrection of the dead. And now, Lord, with that power, make me new. For from this day forward, I choose to be a follower of yours. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.